Of course, like every other teenage kid, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. When I was 16 years old, I took off and drove across the country to Wyoming, went into the Wind River Range and discovered mountains. In 1973, Yvonne Chouinard founded Patagonia. I never wanted to be a businessman. All I wanted to do was do my craft and climb mountains. So then I had to figure out a way to where I was going to be a businessman, but I was going to do it completely on my own terms. Build the best product, cause no unnecessary harm, inspire and implement solutions to the environmental crisis. Join us at Patagonia.com. You're listening to The Dirtbag Diaries, a production of Duct Tape Then Beer, with additional support from New Belgium Brewing and Kuat Racks. Storytelling has become a bit of a buzzword in both our outdoor world and beyond. And as someone who spent a lot of time, actually more than half their life, working on telling stories... I think it's pretty darn cool. For the longest time, though, I didn't really see it coming through in outdoor filmmaking. It was about gnar, radness, and the sickest camera coupled with the sickest helicopter. And then I got invited to this festival in a small town in Colorado. It was called Five Point Film Festival. It wasn't the biggest or the most high-profile festival, but it was clear that the founders did more than pay homage to story. They celebrated. And I thought, man, I could get behind this. And fortunately... They felt similarly about the Dirtbag Diaries. This is the fifth year that we've returned to Carbondale to record a Live from Five Point episode. We gather in Steve's guitars in a tiny, perfect venue that fits about 60 people. Guitars adorn the wall and people have started showing up an hour in advance to grab a seat. There's laughter and beer and applause, but my favorite moments are the ones of silence. The silence that comes right after there's a question. I ask something, or the audience asks something, the interviewee thinks, pauses. The audience leans forward in anticipation. In that moment, that's where I feel the most a part of this community of athletes and creatives. This year, it was no different. Today, we are proud to present two interviews with rock climbing legends. Each are legends for a different reason. Frank Sanders has guided countless people up Devil's Tower. Frank's the kind of person that if you meet him once, you will not forget it. In our second conversation, Rock climber Tommy Caldwell reflects back on the Dawn Wall and then discusses the emptiness that comes after completing a seven-year odyssey. We've only edited the interviews lightly in order to maintain the spirit and feel of the event. We hope you'll join us in Carbondale next year. I'm Fitzcahal, and you're listening to The Dirtbag Diaries. Welcome to the Five Point Film Festival. Our first guest is Frank Sanders, climbing guide and owner of Devil's Tower Lodge in Wyoming, and a lot more than that. Last year, our good friend Brendan Leonard went to Devil's Tower to write a story on Frank, and while there, Brendan decided that someone had to make a film about this character, so he and Forrest Woodward went back with the camera, and then Brendan called me and asked if I could do something with the footage. And I'll be honest, I 
Initially, I stalled. We were super busy at the office, and he sent me this hard drive anyway, and I only had to watch a few minutes of the footage to realize that he was right. Someone had to make a film about Frank. We think, after listening to him, you'll feel the same way. Uh, good morning, everyone. Um, I'm really excited to introduce to you guys, uh, or introduce you if you don't already know or have not heard about the legend that is Frank Sanders. Yeah. Um, I think, so I think I'll just start the story or start the quiet. I hope Frank can start the story. So a long time ago in a place far away, you stuck your hand out to hitch a ride. And where did it lead you? I was going to school in Tennessee, and I'd grown up on East Coast. Who's from East Coast? Yeah, you need to know, historically in our country, the outcasts and the misfits have drifted west. <laughs> so here we are. It's not a bad thing, is it? I've grown up climbing on the East Coast, and I got to a point where I figured I've climbed up and down here. Let's find something else. And my mentor said, head west, young man. I'd never been west of Mississippi. I looked at a map and I said, that's a big area. Could you be more specific than head west? <laughs> and an enlightened soul, Greg, says, go to Devil's Tower. You won't have any problem route finding. They're all long crack. Well, that hit me good. So I stuck out my thumb and I hitchhiked out to Devil's Tower in June of 1972. And I know we all got our own level of challenge, right? For me, hitching out <laughs> to Wyoming, that was a big trip of my life at that point in time. That was pressing my bounds. And my first night was there in a little town called Moorcroft. And my first night in Wyoming, I spent it in Moorcroft jail, but I don't do that anymore. <laughs> no, seriously, I'm, I'm very pleased to tell you folks right now, here now, I've been clean and sober for nearly 16 years. And if it weren't for, I didn't do it. Frank cannot keep Frank sober. I tried that, it didn't work. <laughs> it was really bad. So I thank a higher power that keeps me sober every day. And I, this all leads to the fact that um, I found my place back 15 years ago. I returned to the tower, whatever that is, 28 years after my first visit. I returned to the tears and minds, man. <laughs> The special places, it's the story of my life. And I found my special place. Um, the hunting, the searching, the seeking, the traveling, trying to find that special place. Bet a lot of you are engaged in that right now, aren't you? You know, it takes me back to Carlos Castaneda and finding your space. But that's hippy-dippy and in the 60s. <laughs> but yeah, I hope you find your space. It's there. I'm thankful I found mine for one time in my 63 years. I can say I know I'm in the right place, and every morning I pray that I'm doing the right thing. And that's not a bad life at all. What do you think about, so, so I, I think everybody here probably knows Devil's Tower. If, if you're a climber, it's, you know, it's these incredibly soaring cracks that are the same size for 100 feet at a time. Um, and it's also a special place for uh, uh, travelers and I mean, people stop. It's kind of in the middle of the nowhere and it's this place that people stop to go see because it is so unique and 
um, made famous by Hollywood. And I mean, it's, it's you know, it's a special, special place. But to you, what about, I mean, because you've done a lot. You've been to a lot of different places. It's not like you just spent the last no. 40 years no. in, at Devil's Tower. It's like, what about the tower is so magical <clears throat> to you? That's a good point. It's been a very good life. Really has. I've gotten to travel here and there, probably not as far as most of you have, but a long way for me. And and finding that special place, the tower. Um, I run a bed and breakfast and a guide service, and it never yet has ceased to amaze me why people come to Devil's Tower. I mean, if you're not a climber, right? It's way off the interstate. It's out in the middle of nowhere. And what is it? It's a rock. And if you're not a climber, what's a rock, right? It's not a waterfall or a river. There's no motion. It's a rock. Why do people come that far? And so I guess in my mind, I've come up with two words. Uh, the attraction is inexplicable because I haven't been able to explain it. But at the same token, it's undeniable. Isn't that just a wonderful enigma? Yeah. What does the tower mean to me? Mm -hmm. I don't want to sound trippy, but right out my back window is that tower. And as we've realized climbing the rock, the rock don't change, you do. You know, that climb was easier, that climb was harder. No, 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 no. Has the climb changed? No, we did the changing, right? To me, that tower doesn't change, and it, it represents my higher powers, power and strength and unchangingness. And as each day comes, the sun shows different details of that powerful, unchanging entity and then takes them away and shows other details. So to me, it's a continually changing and unique wonder every day. I'm the luckiest man in the world. How many times have you climbed the tower? Well, I guess I'd have to say not enough because I keep doing it. <laughs> That's a good answer. And I, like I, I guess the next obvious question is, don't you get tired of it? Well, no, because right now I'm guiding. And I live, my, my, my employment's in a fantasy world. I get to help people live out their dreams. And so, as those of us who guide have realized, it's got very little to do with climbing and it has more to do with your guests' dreams, ambitions, abilities, and all the rest. But all that drama takes place on that rock and that's just amazing. I love that stage. I feel like Shakespeare at the Globe. It's just fine. <laughs> um, is there a particular client that, that stands out to you in terms of like, I mean, I know it's probably hard to whittle it down because you do this every day during the summer. I know, I know. But like out, the, out of the years, like has there been a certain person that just, uh, just embodies what that, like what your, what your job is and what your, what your path through life is of showing people their potential and giving them this joy of realizing this dream? Wow. Well, you know, the good news is that we're all unique, right? Aren't we? Bad news is we're all the same that way. <laughs> and I guess that's the way all of us are and so the clients are. 
And yeah, there have been uh, older people, younger people, people that have climbed a lot, people that have never climbed, people that are overwhelmed, people that take it all in stride and say, what's next? Um, I don't know, it's hard to pick one. <laughs> Fitz, it's really hard. I guess I'd have to pick on Dr. Ginger. She's a veterinarian from South Carolina, y'all. <laughs> now, how much climbing do you think she gets done in South Carolina? But for 13 years, she's come out for one week in September to climb with me. Really cool. And whenever she lands, we just go crank and climb hard until Sunday morning. Sunday morning, we try to get something in, but by 11 o'clock, 11 o'clock Sunday morning, we're on the couch watching one, two, three NFL football games. <laughs> <laughs> and that's our annual ritual. <laughs> and then she flies out the next Monday. To her, also, I know that the tower has that, that unchanging but always changing. It's a power spot. It's a special place for her. I know when her mother passed, she brought her mother's ashes out to disperse on the top of the tower, even though her mother had never been to the tower. That's how powerful the tower is to Dr. G, and I know it's a chance that she takes every year to come recharge her batteries, renew her outlook, and reacquaint herself with an old friend, the tower. Um, how did you end up coming back to that? Because that's what's funny, because like, I never got that story, you know, going through all, all the footage. Like, how did you come back to it? Because I know that you, you climbed in Yosemite for a long time, you spent a lot of time in Baja, um, you know, you've, you lived in Chico, we were talking about that the other day. How did you end up, um, you know, obviously you found that place in your early 20s, and how did you end up coming back to run the, the bed and breakfast there, and, and then be kind of becoming the steward and shepherd of souls, basically, up the tower? I don't want to sound trippy fits, but it was hand of God. I was very, very busy being an alcoholic, and I was power augering myself right into the earth. I was. And um, friends from Wyoming called and just, you know, kind of benignly said, hey, you know Robinsons want to sell their place? I was like, what? No. Who would sell a house like that? Who would give up 21 acres right at the foot of the town? And it took eight months to work out the real estate deal. And in the middle of it, I had my realization that Frank doesn't keep Frank from drinking and I went to rehab. So all that happened at once in a bundle. Mm -hmm. And I do know that a lot of the people I went to rehab with, uh, I got to know them in that time. And it's sad, because they're going back to the same, pardon me, real shit they came out of. And I did not envy them at all. And Frank, Frank gets out of rehab, and he gets handed a whole new life, a whole new place, a whole new house, right at the base of the tower. What's one to say? I don't know, but I'll be saying it the rest of my life, I promise you all that. So, what message do I preach? Go out and discover. Follow your dreams, live them out. Go do what you do. Remember the person standing right in front of you is the most important person at that time. Go explore. And if there's any doubt as to whether you can make it or not, go find out. There's only one way to answer that question.
Cool. I do know from 15 years of doing the bed and breakfast and the climb and every email that comes off my computer ends in, blessed are those who live out their dreams. And I hope you're busy living out your dreams, whatever they are. Frank Sanders, everyone. Thank you. <laughs>
I mean, it was about looking at something that, like, we were there. The weather was always bad. We were always having to come overcome obstacles, and I always it forced me to look at this thing and be super optimistic all the time. And that was that was huge. I think that's just like a great way to walk through life. I think that's the quality that I admire most in people. People that can come up against anything and like come out smiling. And this forced me to do that. Um, it just and it also forced me to kind of like organize my life and sort of become more responsible, which is my total weakness. Like I'm I'm usually a junk show in all of my life. I think if if you talk to my wife, you. I'm still pretty much a junk show all the time, except for when I'm on LCAP. She's like, suddenly you operate so well when you're up here. And um, I, don't know, I just created this, this balance, I think, that I kind of had this fire inside me and this spark in my eyes. And while I was working in the Donwell, everybody that knew me well could kind of look at that and be like, wow, this is such this life-driving force, and that's really cool. So one of the things that, that I wanted to ask you about today was um, when you've, when you've done that with your life, when you've shaped it towards a good goal, and then all of a sudden that goal is realized, is like, where does that leave you? And when you've realized this vision that you've laid forth, what's left when, it, when it's done, you know, especially when it's taken that long? Like, like how, what's it been like since then? I feel disoriented, honestly. Like, I had that life-driving force, and. Um, you know, when I finished the Donwall, it was kind of like ending a seven-year relationship. You know, I, I knew the Donwall longer than I've known my wife. Like, she knows me as the guy that goes to Yosemite every year and works on the Donwall. And um, so, topping out that route, you knew you'd think I'd work towards it for seven years and it'd be this big heroic moment. But it was, it was like probably one of the hardest days for me in a long time. And, for a lot of reasons, but part of it was like I just had this sense that um, this crazy relationship that drove me so hard was ending. But the thing it did teach me is that having that sort of beacon off in the future that just pulls you into it is such a great way to live. Has there been something that's sort of started to sneak in organically to fill that place that the Dawn Wall had? I think things are just too hectic to really make room for that at this point. I mean, I'm doing tons of events and trying to write a book and all that. Although I do crave adventure, like, <laughs> unbelievably. I already, you know, I've spent the last few months mostly in front of a computer on the phone and I get really grumpy. So I don't know where that's going to take me yet. I'm pretty sure I'm not going to go back to El Cap and find, like, a 20-year project to work on. But... Um, I know that I, I love that world, so I'll just keep my, my eyes open to that and wait until something becomes, it's always like the Donwall just became something I could not, I couldn't not do, you know, like I had to do it. And so that's what I look for. And I, I'm, I'm curious too, like, you know, we're the, we're the same age and um, there, there's the reality that like, you know, we're getting older. Like, I know it's like my body's a little bit creakier now. Like, you know, like I've, yeah. I've broken my ankle. You know, I've done everything, and it's like that that reality. And it, like, does it bother you at all, or do you think about it at all, or not even consider it? But it, that, that that might be the high water mark for for climbing or or your career, or does that even not even enter into the equation? Well, I've gone through this a, lo a lot of times in my life. When I was 17 years old and I like won a national competition, I was like, dude, it doesn't get any better than that, you know? 
And then, um, and then I started to do free recital cap, and I was like, this is, this is, the, this is like, I, when I did the dihedral, I was like, that was the freaking pinnacle, you know? I'm never gonna pass that up. And then I chopped off my finger, and I was like, oh God, you know, that was definitely the pinnacle. But then like this fire started inside me again, and I went on to do like bigger and better things without a finger. And um, I think I'm always shocked at that. I always think that I've reached the pinnacle, and maybe I have. I mean, I, <laughs> I don't really know, but, um, you know, I think as, as long as I live life in this really kind of passionate way, um, it's going to be awesome. And if this is, the, this is the height of that climbing, you know, climbing a hard free route, like that's a, that's a pretty specific thing I did. You know, there's a, there's, a, there's a large world out there of things that I have to do. And maybe my body's going to break down a little bit, but, you know, I didn't go to college. I pretty much bailed on high school to be a climber, so now I can use my brain more now. And, you know, who knows what it, what's going to come of it. I happened to be like on a, I was actually slightly underneath a rock while that was happening. I was like on a shoot and I came out and I remember like seeing my phone blow up with text. And you know, it's like, I have no, no, I had nothing to do with this. And it was people were texting me about it. Like, do you know these guys? And you know, it was incredible to see the, the, the reach of it. And um, on those final days of the wall with, with people gathering on the summit and you know, news teams down in the valley and um, people gathered around their computer screens to like watch the live feed. Did you have a sense of like that that was even going on? Like, were you feeling that at all? I mean, obviously, I know you guys were posting from from the wall and yeah. doing that, but did you get the sense of how much focus and energy and um, support was actually behind you guys while you were finishing up that? Yeah. So when we started that 19-day push, it was like I knew that our that our core community was going to be watching mm -hmm. us, and so I did like my one Instagram post a day. And um, and then we were making a documentary film, and it was it was like it wasn't as pure of an experience as like the Fitch Traverse for sure, because there was like camera people there and stuff. But it's still fun. It was like my best friends with us, and um, and then you know about ten days through, it just blew up into this crazy thing, and I luckily dropped my phone off the wall, and right as that was all going down, so <laughs> I. I didn't, I didn't, I chose to block it out somewhat, but still you're sitting on a portal edge and you're looking down in El Cap Meadow and you see like 10 news trucks with big satellite dishes pointing up and Kevin is over in another portal edge just like sitting there following it all on his phone and you know gray hairs are just like popping out of his head. <laughs> and uh, I, I just, I just chose to, well at one point I had this conversation with Kevin, I was like, Dude, this is this amazing experience that we're having right now. Like this 19-day journey is something we're never gonna forget, and we can't let this, uh, you know, infect us. Like I saw it like a disease, kind of. And so we made this decision that we would continue to do like our one post a day and only let things go out, but not let anything in. Mm -hmm. And that was really important um, for me. And so you know, one of the magical moments was. Our last night, we were we camped out about 50 feet, no, no, like 300 feet below the summit. And you know, early in the morning, as the sun came up, and it, we were the only thing in all of Yosemite in the sun, and everything, you know, the whole rest of the valley was dark. And we felt it was just me and Kevin and our friend Brett, who was the videographer with us. And it was just like this really powerful moment. And um, you know, I I remember that so vividly. But then as we started climbing that day, there was we could look down the Ridgeville Cap and there's like 50 people cheering and um, all these people in the meadow. And 
And then people started like rapping down and, and I was like, I was like, this is out of control. And then, and I was like cheering, I was starting to get sick. And so I lost my voice completely. And we'd been on the wall for 19 days and I smelled like urine. And then we got to the top and I just wanted to hang out with my wife and there was cameras being forced in my face and it was, it was like kind of a miserable experience, honestly. Um, so I was really happy in the end that we kept that experience on the wall, like as pure as we could. Because once we got to the top, um, my world changed. And, uh, you know, I've been struggling to keep my head above water ever since, I would say. <laughs> Kevin, you know, what's he up to and, and how was he taking the whole thing? Um, Kevin is much better at embracing the like the business side of this. He's like a businessman at heart. I think he's a businessman first and then a climber second, honestly. So for him, he sees this as like the best business break ever. So he started like Don Wall talks like with business leaders and So he's just embracing it. Yeah. Yeah. He's embracing it. Yep. For sure. And I'm trying to do the same. He's just a little better at it than me. He talks about the whole thing as much more like, we had the audacity to dream. And I'm like, dude, that was hard. And now life is kind of miserable because of it. <laughs> so, but it's awesome still, you know, so I don't know. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. And this is a, just a random question. I was like, has, has Alex Honnold, um, uh, you know, because he's someone who's gone through this, this period too of being like suddenly like, you know, kid living in van, like to be like the doe-eyed person out in the in front of the cameras. Like, has he been a resource? Like, have you been able to turn to him at all and be like, what was that like for you going through that? Yeah, um, I mean, absolutely. I call him for advice all the time. He's such a good friend. Um, but he also looks at the world. He's just like, dude, just like pay everybody else to do all that crap. And like, why would you ever write a book? You know, it's like, you're just, <laughs> like why, why would you? Yeah, it's like you just pay somebody else to do that. And I'm like, I don't really have the money to pay somebody else. But he's, um, he's just really good about managing that stuff. He does. He just like hires a manager so he doesn't even have to answer his own email. And, um, and he just, he's such a core climber. Like he lives in his van at this point, which is so rad. You know, it's so admirable that he is, um, you know, he's, he's a climber first and he sticks to that. Um, like perfectly and it, how has life changed in terms of like being um recognizable you know and, and and uh i mean it's changed tremendously i mean i feel pulled in a million directions right now with amazing opportunity i mean it's great it's disorienting it's hard you know i'm like trying to find balance between family life and you know taking advantage and still getting outside so i don't go totally insane and also i feel like i've I've got a bit of a pulpit right now. I feel a pretty heavy weight to be a, a great ambassador. I think the fact that people looked at the Donwall and were inspired by that, it like kind of puts pressure on me. I'm like, I need to continue to convey that message. I feel like I have an obligation to go out there and continue to try and inspire people in that most genuine possible way. I think like the challenge for me is to like keep that genuine <laughs> realness and you know keep it authentic. Mm -hmm. I guess like what's your, you know, you talked about it's sort of become your responsibility in a way to provide this message. Like what's, what's your hope for climbing, I guess? If, if you are this ambassador, like what are you trying to, to steer it towards or what would be your um, ideal vision of like what people take away from this? I think 
I was shocked at how people really responded to the authenticity of this. Like I went to the New York Times offices a few weeks after we finished the Don Wall and I was, I was asking the sports editor, I was like, why do you think this went so big? Like those stories that they ran, they said were some of their most viewed stories ever. Mm -hmm. And I wondered why and he's like, because it, you know, there wasn't like a big, it seemed authentic, you know, at least the conception of it was and then the news, you know, television news kind of like maybe screwed that up in ways and nobody actually knew what was going on. but. Um, you know, it started with this real authentic struggle and this journey, and and I think, I think that that is the, the message. Like, I want people to look at that and just believe that you can dream big and just go for it. And you know, the story was really in the journey for me. It wasn't about topping out the Don Wall. It wasn't about trying to gain media. It was just like that drive towards that goal and that that journey that inspired me. And so. I think it would be cool for people to see that and try and live more like that, maybe. And just to get outside, like being immersed in that vertical world in Yosemite Valley and, um, you know, trying to raise my kid through being outdoors. Like the outdoors are just such an amazingly life-driving, beautiful thing. And, you know, one thing that's been kind of crazy about this is I've been doing corporate speaking events a little bit, and it's given me a glimpse into that world of cubicles and... <laughs> You know, I've gone to like the Samsung sales meeting and <laughs> they're just like numbers being spewed and I'm like, God, oh, this is everything that is wrong in this world. And it's made me realize that it's made me realize that the life that we get to live as outdoor, you know, adventures is freaking awesome, you know? It's so the way forward and I want more people to to uh, live that way. Well, um, I just want to give you a round a big round of applause and say thank you and congratulations. <laughs> Huge thank you to Frank Sanders and Tommy Caldwell for talking with us, and to Steve of Steve's Guitars and Five Point Film Festival for having us back for another year. We're not sure when our film Frank and the Tower will release online, but you can always book a trip to Devil's Tower Lodge. Frank will be there. Music today by My Monthly Date, Amy Stolzenbach, and Fog Lake. Amy Stolzenbach is a good friend of the Diaries. The other tracks come from Free Music Archives. You can find links to the artists on our website, dirtbagdiaries.com. This show is powered by people like you. Visit thedirtbagdiaries.com and click the button in the upper right-hand corner to pledge your support. Thank you so much to all of you who have contributed to the show. It makes a big difference. We are so grateful. Support for the Diaries comes from Patagonia. Please visit patagonia.com for another incredible story. Let me tell you about this one. You can watch Defined by the Line. It's a seven-minute film about Josh Ewing, who, kind of like you and me, was just a climber and a guy who worked in the city. Over the years, he fell in love with a place called Cedar Mesa, and he realized that he had a bigger stake than just visiting there, that it wasn't just enough to love a place, he had to do something to protect it. And his story, to me, it's really inspiring, and I encourage you to watch it, because this place that Josh loves, Cedar Mesa, and the greater Bears Ears region, which includes our beloved Indian Creek, well, there's a good chance that it could become part of a national monument. Take action, sign the petition, help Josh out. Support for the Diaries comes from New Belgium Brewing, who encourages you to follow your folly. And from Kuat Racks, makers of a better bike rack. Check out their lineup at kuatracks.com. Let's get back.
gonna make it a lot easier to get your bike to the trailhead this summer. This episode of The Diaries was produced by Jen Altschul, Becca Call, and me, Fitz Cahal. You've been listening to The Dirtbag Diaries. Thanks for tuning in.